and welcome to TanakhStudy.com. This is Shani Tarragon, and today we're going to continue with the laws of the aftermath of the deaths of Nadav and Abihu. Just to remind you, we have seen how Nadav and Abihu have brought their Ish Ka'asher Lotziva Utam, bringing a fire before God that God had not commanded of them. And that is why the Torah then tells us, in addition to their not being able to enter into the Mishkan in a state of intoxication, they must be able lahavdil ben hakodesh uven hachol uven hatame uven hatahor. Hakadosh Baruch Hu wants to make it very clear that there are certain mandates that must be followed, especially within the realm of the Mikdash. God defines what's considered kodesh. God defines how, when, what, and whom may get close to Him in the Mikdash, and what is considered whole, what is considered mundane. So too, what God defines as tamei what is going to limit our relationship with the Mikdash versus what is Tahor. And subsequently, Lahorot et B'nai Yisrael et kol ha-chukim asher Hashem aleihem biyad Mosheh. The Kohanim, who naturally are the ones who are going to be much more immersed in the life of the Mikdash, are the natural teachers. This is Torah Kohanim. They're going to be the ones to instruct Am Yisrael how to live a life of Kedusha, how to be able to distinguish between what is Tameh and what is Tahor. And that is why yesterday we discussed the first of the mandates that are addressed particularly to the Kohanim with regard to the parts of the Karbanot that must be eaten, what they must eat versus at times what they are prohibited from eating. This motif of because this is what I have commanded is what repeats itself throughout these parshiot because these sections are all about defining how we respond to the mandates of God. And if yesterday we spoke particularly within the realm of eating, because that is the perfect context in which to teach both the Kohanim and Am Yisrael a sensitivity to the mandates of Hashem, then today we continue with chapter 11 of Sefer Vayikra, which in fact will mandate what Am Yisrael is allowed to eat, and then the second section, also touch, and what then is going to be considered tamay, what we should not eat because this is what will limit our relationship with the Mikdash. This chapter, which concludes our Parsha, will deal entirely with the laws of animals, but on two levels. Which animals are forbidden or permitted for consumption, and the carcasses of which animals render one tameh upon contact. The various species of creatures whose consumption the Torah prohibits or permits are divided into five categories, addressed by the Torah in five separate sections. So this is what we're going to begin with, verses 1 through 23, the basic prohibitions of foods that may or may not be consumed. And then we'll find that the Parshia ends in a rather strange manner, no longer speaking about consumption, but rather means of transferring Tum'ah. This section will end in verse 28, and then we're going to begin once again with verse 29, through 47, which concludes not only the Parshia, but the chapter as well, with a book and pasuk, lavdil bin hatameu bin hatahor, uven hachaya hanechelet, uven hachaya asher lotachel. So let us first start with the beginning 23 pesukim, which will speak about the laws of animals for food. And Hashem spoke, interestingly, both to Moshe and to Aharon. Not just to Moshe, but Aharon, who has been the Kohen 
in conversation with Moshe with regard to what Kohanim are allowed to eat and not allowed to eat, it is imperative that both of them serve to instruct Am Yisrael how to properly distinguish between what Hashem has declared as Tamei versus Tahor. So they must speak to Am Yisrael saying, these are the living things which you may eat amongst the beasts that are on the earth. Pasukimol, kol mafreset parsa v'shosad shesa prasot ma'alat gira v'behema ota tochelu. Any animal that has a parted hoof, but that's not entirely enough. It has to be cloven-footed, namely some type of crevice in between the foot, and choose its cud. These are the animals that you may eat. The Torah immediately teaches that there are four animals that do not fit under this category of having both of these signs. There are some that may have either ma'alegera, that may chew their cud, or may be amongst those that are mafrisei parsa, may have the split hoof, but they may not necessarily have both of these signs. For example, the gamal. The gamal is ma'alegera, chews its cud, but does not have a parted hoof. Therefore, tamehu lachim. He is considered impure for you. Similarly, the shafan, known as the hyrex or the rock badger, because he chews his cud but also does not have a parted hoof, he is considered tamei. And the third in this category, the hare, she also chews the cud but does not have a parted hoof and is considered impure. But the chazir, the swine, the pig, he does have a parted hoof, is cloven-footed, but does not chew his cud. He is considered impure as well. In addition to their flesh, which may not be consumed, their carcasses also should not be touched, for they are tame unto you as well. The Torah continues with signs of fish that are permitted. This is what you may eat of those that are in the waters, whatever has fins and scales in the waters, in the seas, in the rivers, those you may eat. And all that do not have fins and scales in the seas and in the rivers, and those that swarm in the waters, all of the living creatures that are in the waters, these are considered, notice the new term, not tame, not defiled, but these are detestable things to you. And they shall be detestable unto you, you shall not eat of their flesh, and their carcasses will also be considered detestable. Whatever has no fins or scales in the waters, that is detestable. Pasuk Yudgimel begins the next category, no longer signs of, but rather a list of forbidden birds. Those that 
ואת הכוס ואת השלח ואת הינשוף ואת התשמת ואת הכת ואת הרחם ואת החסידה הענפה למינה ואת הדוכיפת ואת הטלף. This is a list of 20 birds that the Torah tells us are considered sheket. They are detestable amongst the fowl. They shall not be eaten. And these include the nesher, which although many understand in modern Hebrew to be the eagle, this includes the griffin vulture, and the peres, the bearded vulture, and the ozniah, the black vulture, and the da'ah, the kite, and the falcon, every raven of its kind, the ostrich, the nighthawk, the simu, all different hawks of its kind, the little owl, the cormorant, the great owl, the horned owl, the pelican, the carrion vulture, the stork and the heron of, after its kind, and the hoopoe and the bat. And the last part of this section, verses 20 to 23, the prohibition of flying insects and the permissibility of four specific ones. All wings swarming things that go up on fours are detestable to you. Yet you may eat of these winged swarming things that go on all fours, those that have jointed legs above their feet, whereupon they may leap upon the earth. And what do these four exceptions include? These you may eat the locust and the bald locust and the cricket and the grasshopper and all of their species. For these have four legs with which they may jump and therefore we know that till today the Temanim have a misora, have a tradition of which chogavim, which grasshoppers or locusts may in fact be eaten. But everything else, all wings, swarming creatures which have four feet are detestable to you. Until now, we've mentioned four different categories of creatures whose consumption the Torah prohibits or permits. There is actually a fifth category that will appear at the end of the chapter in verses 41 through 45. We'll hear about the prohibition against eating all sheretz ha'aretz, the swarming insects, including all its various types, which will be different than the category that we just completed of sheretz ha'of, the winged insects. What we have completed then until this point is a description of the entire animal kingdom divided into five categories. But by what principles of categorization did the Torah divide these animals? At first glance, this division seems to be a very practical one. It classifies the creatures based on where they live, the factor that determines the nature of man's encounter with them, beginning with behemot and chayot, the land animals, followed by the sea, followed by the sky, the birds, and then the insects of the sky. This classification, though, does not always correspond with the method of classification generally employed by modern taxonomy or zoology. So, for example, the final creature mentioned in the list of birds is the atalef, the bat, which is, in fact, a flying mammal. Abel Hanan Samet proposes that the standard employed in the structure of this arrangement is, in fact, hinted to already in the introduction. The focus is on the creatures that you may eat, meaning that the Torah comes to teach us which animals are permitted for consumption within each category presented in the chapter, and the prohibition against eating other creatures of every category is taught either explicitly or parenthetically alongside the permissible animals. Therefore, he suggests that the Torah arranges the various sections in accordance with the proportion that exists within each between the permitted and the forbidden creatures. 
the larger the group of permissible animals in a category, the earlier that category's discussion appears in the chapter. So if we begin, the first section deals with a group of animals that have split hooves and chew their cud. This entire group is permitted for consumption. In other words, any animal that has both of these simanim, with the exception of just four animals that lack one of these criteria, which the verses list by name. The second section deals with water animals. Here the Torah mentions not one creature by name, giving only the necessary criteria for fish's permissibility, which is the presence of fins and scales. This description gives the impression that many water creatures possess these features, whereas there must be many others that do not. The third section lists the name of 20 forbidden birds and mentions by name not one permitted bird. So we are left with the impression that there is a sizable portion of birds that are forbidden for consumption, as opposed to four, for example, that we heard about by the animals, and as opposed to many in a category of fish, now we hear of 20 in the category of fowl. Chazal and fast extrapolate that even though one would surmise that all the other types of birds would be permissible, it's actually only the birds that we have a misora, that we have a tradition for knowing that they were in fact eaten. Those will be the ones that are considered permissible, whereas all the others are forbidden. The fourth section initially prohibits all winged insects before proceeding to only four permissible ones, which the Torah mentions by name and features as chagavim. The structure of this section is the exact inverse of how we began with the behemot and chayot, wherein all creatures with certain criteria were permitted with the exception of four. Here it's exactly the opposite. Everything is prohibited with the exception of four. The last section, the fifth section, which is going to appear only at the end of the chapter, categorically forbids the entire group of Sharetz Haaretz without any exception. And this does not really belong under the title then of these are the creatures that you may eat because no creature in this category may be eaten. And maybe that's why the Torah places this section at the end of the chapter almost as an addendum to the main section of discussion. Before we proceed with the continuation of the chapter, I'd just like to point out that within the first 23 verses that we've learned, there is but one exception to the general discussion of the laws of permitted and prohibited animals for consumption. And this is in verse 8. Not only may one not eat of the various animals that don't have the signs of tahara, but also uvenivlatam lotigau. One may also not touch their carcasses, tmeyim heimlachim. One may not touch their carcasses because they are impure for you. Please keep this in mind as we continue now with the theme of the next section, beginning with verse 24. All of a sudden we see a different terminology. We're now focused on the laws of impurity, beginning with the impurity of the carcass of an animal that does not display the signs of an animal that is tohorah. And by these you shall become impure. Whoever touches the carcass of them shall be impure. And similarly, whoever bears the weight of one of these carcasses shall wash his clothing and be impure until the evening. Every animal which does not have a cloven foot nor chews its cud shall be considered impure, and anyone who touches their carcass shall be considered impure. 
כל הנוגע בנבלתם יטמא עד הערב. And whoever goes upon its paws, all the beasts on fours shall be considered impure. Again, whoever touches their carcass shall be impure until the evening. And he that also bears the weight of the carcass, carries the carcass, shall wash his clothes and be considered impure until the evening because they are impure for you. Next verse is the impurity of the carcass of a creeping creatures and those things that become impure from them. And these are the things which are impure to you amongst the things that swarm upon the earth. These include the weasel, the mouse, the lizards of its species, the gecko, the land crocodile, the lizard, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. These are all considered impure of those that actually crawl on the earth and whoever touches them when they are dead shall be impure until the evening. And if any of these animals fall upon them in their death, then they shall also be considered impure, whether the vessel be made of wood or raiment or skin or sackcloth, whatever vessel it may be, that work is done through this vessel, may be put into water upon becoming impure and will remain in a state of impurity until the evening. And every earthen vessel, wherein any of the rodents may fall into them when they are dead, that also shall become impure, but one cannot purify it through immersion in water, that has to be broken. And any food that they fall upon which may be eaten, and that which comes in contact with water shall become impure as well. Any drink in which such a vessel has become impure shall also be impure. And everything whereupon any part of the carcass fell shall be impure. Whether it's an oven containing the fire or an oven range for pots, it shall be broken entirely in pieces, for until then it is impure. Ach ma'ayan uvor mikveh mayim yetahor v'nogeh yitzma. Nevertheless, a fountain or a cistern, wherever a gathering of water is, that remains pure. But he who touched their carcass, he shall be impure. And if part of the carcass of one of these rodents fell upon any seed while being sown, that is still considered pure. But if water is upon the seed, then the same law applies that anything impure that comes in contact with the water shall automatically be considered impure as well. The next two verses teach us that in addition to the impurity of a carcass of an animal that does not have the signs of purity with which the section began, verses 39 and 40 teaches us of impurity of a carcass of an animal that is permissible to eat but is still considered impure. Any beast which at the time that it dies 
one who touches its carcass shall be considered impure, even though while it was alive, one would be permitted to eat it. And he who eats of the carcass shall be considered impure. He must wash his clothing and he'll be impure until the evening. And he that carried the carcass shall also be considered impure, must wash his clothes and be considered impure until the evening. Verses 41 through 45 reintroduce prohibitions of eating. This time the prohibition of eating any creeping creature without any exception. Every swarming being that crawls upon the earth is detestable. Here's that word of Shekets again, and therefore it shall not be eaten. Whatever crawls upon the belly, whatever goes upon all fours, whatever has many feet, even all swarming things that swarm upon the earth, one shall not eat, for they are detestable. And you shall not make yourselves detestable through these swarming things, neither shall you make yourselves impure through them, and thereby be defiled. For I am Hashem your God, and thereby sanctify yourselves, be holy. For I am the source of holiness, and you shall not defile yourselves in any manner through these shratzim, through these swarming things that move upon the earth. For I am Hashem that brought you out of Mitzrayim to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. And now the last two psukim, a general conclusion. This is a law of the beast and the fowl and every living creature that moves in the waters and every creature that swarms upon the earth to distinguish between what God has defined as impure and pure, between the living things that may be eaten and the living things that may not be eaten. These last psukim refer back to the first section, the laws primarily of animals for food, for consumption, versus the second section that we just completed, verses 24 to 47, which focus on the laws of impurity. At first glance, the composition of the second half raises the question concerning the unifying theme of the subjects under discussion, which is, amidst all of the laws of impurity, we had a few psukim, 41 through 45, that reverted back to the prohibitions of eating. Every creeping creature that creeps upon the earth is forbidden to be eaten. And this seemingly belongs in the first section, which deals with the laws of consumption, rather than the second section, which deals with the laws of impurity. We already noticed, however, that in the first section, there is also one little exception of the general discussion of the laws of consumption, and that was verse 8. In addition to not eating of the flesh of certain animals, you shall also not touch their carcasses because they're considered impure. If we compare the two halves of our chapter, we find that the two categories, though, are not identical. The first section dealt with signs of pure animals and for impure animals, followed by the signs of fish and birds, and the prohibition of flying insects with a permissibility of four specific ones. The second section only speaks about the impurity of the carcass, 
both of pure animals and those that are impure, but does not relate to those of fish or birds or flying insects. From here, it's clear that the prohibition of eating does not necessarily lead to the second section dealing with impurity, while permissibility of a species does not prevent impurity of its carcass. If we examine the terms that are employed in each one of the sections, we find that in the first section, the animals that are forbidden as food are indicated by two different terms, the term impure, tamay, and detestable or abomination, shekets. It seems that the two terms express the same thing more or less, both the rejection, the loathing of an animal that's forbidden for consumption. But if this is so, then the two terms should be interchangeable. And there are times in the Torah where we find that something that sheket is also called tamay. But the use of these two terms in our chapter seems very intentional, and attention should be paid specifically because the word tamay appears in two different contexts. In the first section, the word tamay appears only in the first unit, where it's repeated five times with reference to the four forbidden animals. Once for each of the animals mentioned individually, the gamal, the shafan, the arnevet, the chazir, and a fifth time for the group collectively. No other term is used for forbidden animals in this unit. But with reference to the forbidden fish and the other sea creatures, the Torah only uses the term of sheketz four times, with reference to forbidden birds another two times, and with reference to the flying insects twice more. The word tamay does not appear even once in the course of the three units dealing with fish and fowl and flying insects. If one looks carefully, one finds a very interesting phenomenon, namely that all the species that are mentioned in the first section as tamay, as impure, are also mentioned in the second section as rendering impure or mitame through contact, through transfer, through carrying, while the species that are in the rest of the first section that are defined as shekets are not mentioned in the second section at all because they do not render one impure after their death. This connection already between the tum'ah, the impurity of those animal species, both with regard to their consumption and with regard to future contact with them, is made explicit in the pasuk that summarizes the prohibition of the four impure animals that were mentioned in pasuk chet. You shall not eat of their flesh, nor shall you touch their carcasses, because they are impure for you. It is clear that they are impure has two ramifications, both the isur, the prohibition of eating their flesh, as well as what we're going to continue to see in the second section, the impurity that arises from contact with them as a nevela, as a carcass. That's why the phrase tamay or tmeyahi lachem appears numerous times, not only in the first section dealing with the prohibition of consuming the flesh, but also five times in the second section dealing with the impurities with regard to touching them. Whether it's tamehu lachem in Pasuk 26, 27, again in 28 and 31. We can thereby conclude that what the Torah is trying to teach us is that it's not the prohibition of eating that causes tum'ah, but rather the tum'ah of the species that represents the reason for the prohibition against eating them. We don't eat foods because HaKadosh Baruch Hu rendered them tameh. The prohibition of eating these species results from the fact that God defined them to be impure by definition, and the Torah prohibits the consumption of something that is tameh, even though one is not forbidden to become ritually impure through contact with it directly when it is alive. Thus, it must be that the prohibition of eating a carcass, a nevela, may arise from the definition of the carcass as something that is tamay, 
and therefore not suitable for food as a people who are meant to be kadosh. But not all species are defined as such. Forbidden fish and other sea creatures, forbidden birds and flying insects are all prohibited, not because they're defined as tamay, but rather because they're defined as shekets, an abomination. Rav Yosef Bechor explains this Isur as a man who tells his servant, you're around me all the time, so do not defile yourself with something loathsome and defiled. A person who is defiled is not worthy of standing before Hashem. The term shekets expresses loathing, disgust, or as we've defined as something detestable. But with regard to certain animals that are, are forbidden as food, such as the camel, the rabbit, the pig, the horse, other mammals, some of which are kept by man for produce while others live in nature, man hunts them and uses them for basic livelihood. For these, man does not feel disgust and loathing as he does for the shekets that is prohibited by the Torah. The reason for the prohibition of the behemot and chayot is mentioned explicitly in our chapter, ki or because God defined them as such. That phrase, which is repeated over and over, represents the primary reason for the prohibition of eating these animals, rather than the definition of the prohibition. The concluding pasuk is thereby interpreted, you shall not eat of their flesh because you may not touch their carcasses for they are impure for you, and it is not proper for you to eat food that renders you impure upon contact with it, because I am God, who is the source of holiness, and I want you, therefore, to be holy as well, foods are forbidden both for prohibition and for touching in cases where God has defined them as tummy. But the other reason not to consume certain foods is because they have also been objectified as sheketz lachem, as disgusting. In order to be a nation holy unto God, appreciating the distinctions that God has defined, one has to follow these rubrics and these mandates in the realm of the subjective definitions of God and what the Torah defines also as objective definitions. Both are means through which we appreciate what Kedushah is all about, a closer, more intense relationship with Hashem, until now expressed through the Mikdash. Tomorrow we're going to continue with the last category that we did not elaborate upon today, namely that of Shratzim, the rodents and the insects. Excited to discuss this tomorrow. In the meantime, Chag Sameach.